Welcome to the Daily Combat Podcast. The Daily Combat Podcast is brought to you as always by Olympic hopeful turned boxer and all-round sporting polymath Isabella Rossitano, arm wrestling influencer Hollywood Matt Connolly, and combat sports ring announcer Dave Stockbridge. So join Izzy, Dave, and Matt as we talk about the world of combat sports on this episode of the Daily Combat Podcast. Welcome back to the Daily Combat Podcast. I'm here with real estate mogul Dave Stockbridge. <laughs> I'm going to come up with something else. <laughs> and world champion. Muay Thai kickboxer Harley Gangel. So she's joining us again. We did do an episode before that. You can go back and watch that as well. But she's decided to stick around. Uh, she's teaching a Muay Thai class later tonight. So we were lucky enough to uh, have her stay and we'll continue chatting. One of the things I wanted to talk about was health in sports and how sports can be presented as you know health and fitness. And it's something that you should be doing that's going to increase your longevity and make sure that you're working really hard and discipline and sacrifice and everything's going really well. But under the ground of that, underneath of that, there is so many aspects to many sports where <laughs> health is like the last thing on the list. And mm. it's like, get the job done no matter what, whether it's weight cutting or whether it's restrictive dieting or fighting opponents that are way stronger or more experienced or... Or even overeating. Exactly. Mm. Yes, exactly. That's right. And there's so many aspects to that. Um, one of the things... so. Bodybuilding, right? Yeah. Guys, step on stage. Same Mr. Olympia competition. Yep. They are so dehydrated. They look really lean, yep. super lean, right? They've been dieting for months leading up to this competition. They do two shows that day, one in the morning, one at night. Yeah. The difference between morning and night can be the difference between winning and losing. Mm. Sure. Which is insane. Mm. And it's like, because people look at the way that they look on those photos on that day and they say, oh man, this guy's amazing or it's incredible. Even locally, like people that are in the gym and they train and they diet for a competition and then, you know, they step on stage lean and, you know, in the shape that they were trying to achieve. Uh, the day after, obviously, they go back to normal regular eating and they, they will increase their body weight back to a normal level. But to them, it's like they're looking at themselves as that, you know, 5% Mm. Uh, body fat on stage dehydrated as that's how I should look all the time and it's like it's uh, it plays with people's minds I just it frustrates me it's like you, you, that that was a, a specific purpose you were only looking like that for a couple of hours of that day it's not and as I said at the top professional world champion Mr. Olympia level they can't maintain that for a whole day but I think part of the dilemma is that you, there's there, there is a definite difference between health and sport and there is some degree of health that needs to be given up in the pursuit of sport. And I think in combat sports in particular, there's a lot at risk. You know, you can get knocked out. You can, there can be serious, serious uh, damage as a result of just being there in the ring or in the cage. Um, in bodybuilding, um, you know, that's usually, it, it normally leads to kidney failure or, or, or uh, heart issues very early on in life. I think ultimately there's, for, for young people, it's really difficult. We were talking about young females mm. um, earlier and uh, the dilemmas that, that just through bad diet selection, uh, really bad um, uh, dehydration and the like and, and the long-term effects of that, but no one's thinking about that when they're young and they're, they're going for gold. Um, so 
what type of learnings are there now in place for young athletes? And, and in Mu- Muay Thai, has there been a, a movement towards um, supporting athletes as, they, uh, as they're developing in the younger years to ensure that they don't fall into these traps? Um, I think the biggest thing is around the weight cutting side of things. If people aren't cutting as much weight, then the difference in their body from when they're competing to when they're not competing isn't that big of a difference. So Mm -hmm. obviously the heavier their weight cutting, that's, as you said, it's not maintainable. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as and I'm talking from perhaps a female perspective in, in my fight career, you know, seeing yourself at weigh-in, it's fantastic to be that lean, mm. not maintainable, but when you then go and live a normal life for two weeks and you put on weight and you actually just get to a healthy weight, mm. you know, in our minds we're like, oh, we're overweight, like this hmm. is terrible, we are, we're too big. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the later stages of my career where I wasn't cutting as much weight, the difference between my, my fight physique and my, you know, regular life physique of just enjoying training and, and still, you know, eating okay, um, you know, it's not that big of a difference. So I think by eliminating those severe weight cuts, you're actually dealing with a lot broader issues as well. Mm. And, and you were mentioning that some of the things that have happened recently in the, uh, in the fight world have been uh, not uh, with the weigh-ins. Uh, uh, in Muay Thai, uh, fighters wearing wearing clothes and, mm-hmm. and not being not standing there in their bathers or, or just in their shorts, but um, having a t shirt, having a sponsor shirt on, being covered up, so that there isn't that um, status that's achieved by being super lean on the scales uh, at, at the weigh in. Yeah, that's right. And as I sort of um, touched on, we were discussing before that there was a bit of a culture around cutting weight um, in the earlier stages of my fight career. So running in a sweatsuit was considered, you know, cool. And the mm. more weight that you were cutting, you know, the more badass you were. Yeah. So it was kind of the same thing, you know, when you get to weigh in and you're standing there in your underwear and your crop top, you know, wearing the bare minimum, yeah. the more ripped and lean and, you know, more dehydrated you look, the, the cooler it, it was. And a lot of people probably don't want to admit that, but that's truly what it was. So mm. by some promotions now, you know, not advertising fighters on the scales, they're just taking a photo in front of the sponsor banners in Muay Thai shorts, in a promotion shirt. At minimum, you know, they'll just wear the Muay Thai shorts, but even still, you know, it's still covering quite a bit. Mm. You know, they are taking that that status away from the weigh-in. Um, and, you know, I've definitely seen a bit of a culture shift since some promoters um, on big shows have been doing that, which is great. Yeah. Well, I mean, young people are always, already very body conscious and very sensitive around that. Um, have you seen any negative knock-ons as a, as a result of this culture of weight cutting? Um, yes, I, I just think, uh, yeah, by, you know, having the UFC and, and young people seeing, seeing how they are at weigh-ins, you know, I think that in mm. itself is, is difficult for young people to comprehend. And, mm. you know, a lot of young people don't understand what has gone into someone being able to look that way. So, And then they look at that and thing. think, why don't I look like that? I'm training hard. That's right. And, I went for know. a 5K run yesterday. Why yeah. don't I look, <laughs> like, uh, look like that? So, yeah, I think that's uh, the media has a lot to do with that. Social media can be a bit of a trap for young people these days, especially young athletes for mm. sure. 
Well, Matt, and you've mentioned uh, that there was a female fighter on the scales at the UFC, and she literally fainted on the literally scales. Fainted on the scale, and they picked her up, and then she went and weighed in again, and then she got like, "Oh yeah, you've made the weight," and then she stepped off the scale and fainted again on the on the stage, and it was like, oh, "This is how can and it's not good happen? for the sport either, is no. it? You know, it looks terrible for the sport. Absolutely, and you're supposed to be promoting like you know, this is a fun. I mean. Uh, at its at its core, it it's a, a fitness event. You know, you're supposed to be having a good time going to these sorts of things, and you mm. want to be competing because yeah, it's competitive, but uh, and you want to win. But it, at at its core, it must be fun. You must be enjoying mm. the process. And if it's to the point where my health is at risk, and I am doing these things that are dehydrating myself, I'm mm. getting kidney problems. I'm getting this problem, uh, mental health issues. It's mm-hmm. like, is this, this isn't fun. This isn't a fun aspect to it. And it's that obsession that you can sort of see with, with people that get uh, whatever they're chasing, whatever the goal is. It doesn't have to be sport. But when, when people get obsessed with something and they're willing to sacrifice everything for that one thing and it mm. sort of becomes their life. And uh, you see that where uh, George St. Pierre had to step away. He had to, mm. he was like, I cannot just, like, I can't stop. Like, I'm just thinking of training 24 7 and I, and it's doing my head in because that's, mm. I, I, I can't relax. I can't, I am always pressuring myself. I must go to training. I must do this. I must do that. Uh, and that, that's that discipline that comes into it. Uh, and you want the fighter or somebody who's trying to be successful to have those attributes. But when it becomes that you're a slave to that, uh, obsession that's where it's a problem and it's like uh I, I respect him for being able to do that and saying look i i am having a problem with this even though he was world champion he's like i need to step away um if you want to take the belt from me then that's what we'll do mm. i will retire and i'll you know get myself right and then come back so yeah it's it's a double-edged sword because you want to do the right things to get the result but when the right things are unhealthy or dangerous or start taking over your life and affecting it negatively, that's mm. where it's like, maybe you need to reevaluate this. Mm. Mm. And there is, there is, well, as with any athlete, but there's a life after fighting, you know, and you, mm. you do have to have to consider that. Unfortunately, we don't live in a world where, um, yeah, we, we shouldn't consider that. You know, I know a lot of fighters and, you know, I it was one of them for a little while where obviously you make something your your goal every day to be the best so you're working towards it but there has to be a point where you're thinking about the bigger picture you know you have to Mm. ask yourself realistically am I going to make it enough to support the rest of my life if the answer is no then there needs to be a plan b so if anything you've got to work harder to make sure that you've got both avenues so Mm. you know I know a few fighters that have given up their you know uni degrees or quit their jobs which is all well and good. I am all for going towards that goal. And some people, you know, you do have to give up everything and make those sacrifices. But, mm. you know, if you're in a sport like, for example, Muay Thai, it's it's never going to be MMA and the UFC. So mm. there's, there's got to be a plan B, for, you know, and that includes not destroying your body to the point where it's going to affect you after your career's finished. I think it's really hard for a, a lot of uh, a lot of fighters or a lot of people involved in, in combat sports because co- in combat sports, there's not even the financial upside necessarily associated with it. So it's not like, well, by winning, you're going to be mm. a millionaire all mm. of a sudden. It's like, well, you win and you might get a belt, you might get a medal, you might not get anything. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and so when people are risking their health, like in downstream, you know, we in bodybuilding, you know, you're, You'll go down and you see the gym bros on PEDs, and and they're you know they're twenty six years old, and mm-hmm. and they're 
they're they're abusing their bodies mm. um, to attain um, an aesthetic um, that uh, will fade very very quickly. Um, and as you said, there's a life after that, but they're not even not even thinking about that at mm. that age. What, what was your regime coming into a fight? So if you're you're a month out, and did your diet start to change, and or how did your diet start to change, and um, and how many calories were you taking in, and what were you? What was your routine and regime like um, leading into a fight? Um, so I kind of had two different stages in my fight career. So there was kind of the the first three quarters, which were I had negative experiences, you know, mm. with the cutting weight. Again, the old school mentality. Towards the end, I, um, you know, I invested in the right resources to get me there safely. So I had a nutritionist, um, which who was absolutely fantastic, and I had a, a really high level strength and conditioning coach. So. Um, you know, towards the end, you know, the later stages in, in my fight career recently, um, you know, my regime was uh, so much more relaxed actually because the the results from the resources that I had invested in were just doing what they were meant to be doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd follow my my meal plan. She wouldn't actually tell me um, how many calories I was taking in. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to count anything. She had done it so that it was just I felt relaxed about it. As long as I was following that plan, my weight was just coming off. She would work with my strength and conditioning coach. And so towards, yeah, the, the my last few fights, um, I was able to work as well, which was massive. I had the energy to to still be able to work in my business, whereas before that I would actually step away and have other trainers do my job because I was so fatigued. So, you know, in actually changing my methods, I was achieving a hell of a lot more. I finished my uni degree, mm. you know, so I was able to do all of that just by by changing my thinking around around dieting and, and my approach to training, you know, smarter, still hard, but smarter, but not harder. Yeah, training, yeah. training smarter, not harder, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and was you, so what you were taking in like food-wise, did that, did that change? Did the types of foods or food mixing, like, uh, you know, you, you hear a lot of people, they're just on the, the broccoli and the, 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 the brown rice or the white rice, the brown rice. I don't know. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> the good rice. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not on the wheat bix. Um, <laughs> um, it, it was a, did, did you have a certain type of food you had to eat that you hated? Uh, no, 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 oh, you're no. very lucky. No, so in the first, you know, in my bad stages when I was uneducated, I was on the chicken and the broccoli and the, the fish and never eating anything that I enjoyed. And then all of a sudden, I had this nutritionist that was like, Okay, what's your favorite thing? And I was like, Chocolate, fried Mars bar. Oh, good chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take the fried Mars bar. Um, but you know, and she incorporated that into ah. my week based on w- how I was training, and I was. So you were yeah. dipping the broccoli in the chocolate? That's that exactly, how- yeah, broccoli fondue was delicious. <laughs> Secret painting. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah, and also, you know, eating eating so much that well, obviously my calories increased significantly that I had so much energy that my performance went up, that my weight was dropping quicker and my physique changed. Hmm. And, you know, I was eating things that I would have totally restricted myself to before. So, you know, having that, those sweet potato chips, having that nice big pile of rice and, you know, sometimes having that chocolate, (laughs) you know. So, like, yeah, it was was a game changer. And what was your your post-weigh-in reward? What what was your go-to? Oh, do you know what? Uh, This also changed. So it used to be, you know, oh, I just want a a massive pizza. (laughs) 
but, you know, I got a little bit smarter uh, and it became, you know, good, you know, vegetables and, and pasta and, you know, I might treat myself to a bit of chocolate after mm. weighing. <laughs> but I always had this weird thing after my fights, my treat would always be Fruit Loops. <laughs> Do you eat Fruit Loops any other time? Absolutely not. No way. And I think it was because as a kid I was never allowed to have them. And as a fighter I was like, what's the one thing I want to eat? I was like, Fruit Loops got the highest sugar content of anything I know. And, and when you had that pizza after weigh-in early on, how did you – how did you actually feel? Like, could you did you did you feel terrible? Like, oh, yeah. Or, yeah, sluggish and bloated. You know, I only did it a couple of times before yeah. I worked out. Oh, this is probably dumb. <laughs> um, it tasted so good, but oh. yeah, yeah. And it, it goes back to um, that nutritionist. She actually said to me that the what I said before about if you have to run a half marathon tomorrow, what are you going to eat? And you mm. know, my answer is not going to be a big greasy pizza, yeah. it's going to be I'm going to have some vegetables and I'm going to have some good carbs. I'm not going to eat too much. I'm going to hydrate well. And that really changed my mentality because it's like, well, yes, what am I going to eat to perform? Not what am I going to eat because I've missed out on this for the last 12 weeks. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. So when you when you were competing, you, you're definitely balancing responsibilities between studying uh your, your responsibilities at the gym. Were you still training? Were you training people at the same time as you were preparing for fights? Sure was, yes. Right. I never, never had a, a not extremely busy day. Um, life's always been pretty hectic, but that's what I mean. I've always um, been a fighter that thought about plan B, thought mm. about life after fighting, so I was determined to get my degree done. And What, what degree did you do? I did business and marketing, yep. so I guess relevant to what to what I do. Um, but, yeah, also maintaining my business was, was, it was challenging, but, mm. you know, it, well, COVID hit and the fight stopped. So, you know, if I didn't have that secure business that was established and, and smooth running, then, yeah. I mean, that would have been a real problem for me as a fighter. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, now when it comes to diet and stuff, what what are some of the takeaways? Like, what have you incorporated into your everyday life in the in your post post fighting career? Well, first post fighting career. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me is uh, just knowing how to fuel your body. So you know, like really treating food as fuel. So thinking mm. about all right, what have I got to do today or what have I got to do this week and what do I need to, you know, what do I need to consume to, to achieve, you know, what, what I need to achieve this week. So mm -hmm. um, my relationship with food definitely has, has changed um, for the better um, and I'm really glad that it did before I became a trainer because, you know, if I had taken some of what I was doing in my early stages of my career into being a trainer, I think I could have had quite a negative effect on on my students without meaning to. So, mm. um, yeah, learning about that relationship with food and, and going through those experiences now allows me to be a better trainer and, you know, also prepare my fighters better but also, you know, educate them as people as well. Mm. I always feel bad for a fighter who's done all the right things and given up everything to step in the cage or into the ring and lose in ten seconds. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and especially if somebody else that their opponent has done the wrong stuff, yeah. <laughs> just come off. You know, didn't train hard and and they get a win and it's like ah, you know, I mean that's the game really. But if you've done everything you could to prepare mm. properly, you put yourself in the best position. But I yeah. still feel terrible for someone who goes and gets knocked out in you know five or ten seconds. Like yeah, oh. that's. Not great, but that's the gamble that we take, isn't it? Every that's time right. we step in there, it can happen.
Yeah, it's a chance every single time. And when you um uh, and and now um as you're advising young young people that are coming into the gym, what are, what are a, a few of the mistakes that you're seeing, say, teenagers make in terms of uh, diet and their fitness outside of the gym and and what and their lifestyles outside of the gym that you you know if you're being Carly mum, what would, what would you get them to to pull back on? Um, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. So you get young people that train so well and eat so well during the week hmm. then they hit the weekend hmm. and the party life kicks <laughs> in <laughs> so trying to educate young people around still living a balanced life but understanding that the effects that of what they consume on the weekend can have massive effects on their training week so mm. yeah that's a big thing and then you can get sort of the other end of the spectrum where people go so hard into sport that you just watch young people and you're like, I give it a year and then you're going to totally resent sport. So mm -hmm. um, I personally had a, a young female f junior fighter um, and she actually came to me after being a professional diver for, oh. for years. So she was, her training schedule was just absolutely ridiculous. But when she came to me, she already had that foundation. So she was an incredible athlete. Her diet was on point, training was on point. She fought solid for probably 12 to 18 months. And then she hit a point and I was just, uh, I remember having a conversation with her and just being like, it's been too hard too soon. You need to take a step back and you need to live life a little bit. Otherwise, you're not going to have a very long career. So, mm. you know, two ends of the spectrum with young people and, yeah, you've kind of got to got to find that balance. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was asking before, uh, this is a, diff a change of topic, but when you knock somebody out, <laughs> what does that feel like? Is it just like, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And not so, uh, how many fights have you won by knockout? Oh, 300. So, so many she can't even remember. <laughs> no, no, it is not too many. Remember a knockout and a, a technical knockout, two completely different things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, actual knockout, I think it's three or four. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and what are your emotions like a few minutes after that happens? Um, I, to be honest, you just land it and, I don't know, I just kind of go blank. But the first thing that comes to my mind every time is I hope my opponent's okay. Hmm. So I never, um, as a fighter, I never had that instant feel of victory. It was always Concern. Oh, quickly evaluate the situation, is my opponent okay? Yep. And then I'll kind of celebrate. So, yeah, I don't know. I can't speak for every fighter, but that's usually the first thing that I think about is I actually hope they're okay because we both get in here not wanting to leave, mm. not being able to mm. <laughs> walk out. And um, have yeah. you ever had one of those big beefs with another fighter and where you've been a little bit happy that maybe maybe you did knock them out? Or? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I had one. Oh, okay, one tell us about this. Is, this is the one I was after. We don't need to use any <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's been in the Muay Thai scene since I've been fighting, they probably know there is one fighter mm -hmm. from New Zealand that okay. we had uh, we had some some issues, some with. beef. Yeah, yeah. And so, where, where did that stem from? Where, where did it all begin? Where did um, <laughs> I, I think uh, oh, lack of sportsmanship for sure. Okay. So, um, so like, a respect issue. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So um, originally it was it was for a quite a, a big title, um, which I won the first one, mm -hmm. um, which they it didn't they thought that they won it, so which was fine, so agreed to a rematch. 
The second one came around and I also... So it was a points decision? Yeah, so yeah, points decision. So no knockout, the, no and, nothing like that. And, and what was your feeling on that fight? Did you feel that you won or you, did you feel lucky when you won? And thought, uh, oh, no, I thought I was, I was confident that I had won. But, yeah. um, you know, yeah, that was fine. So And then we agreed to the rematch and um, I also won that fight, which, yeah, it was not great. But, I mean, after the... It wasn't great? You, you, Sorry, I mean, as in that the result of what came about after that win was okay. Uh, so, not so, great. <laughs> so the fight, the fight itself. The, oh, that, the fights were fantastic. It, it went, it went well, and and yep. you felt good in the in the ring, and you step out of the ring. The fight's over, and yes. then and then the aftermath is what the was not great. The aftermath, yeah. And is so, that like a press conference? Is that a, a social media? Social can, media. Social media can be great, or it can okay. be it can be a bit of a devil. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm very big on sportsmanship. I'm very big on showing respect. If you mm -hmm. don't agree with the decision, there's a, there's a time and a place to do it, and there's an official way to. But to then take there's Instagram. Yes, <laughs> and Facebook. So bad, so bad. So yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a social media war, which I really didn't engage in at all. But so this this opponent was putting it out there. I won. This is yeah, but you know, that's a polite way of putting it, essentially. Yeah, so um, it was it wasn't just trying to be nice. <laughs> it wasn't just disrespect Dear to Carly. me. It was, <laughs> it was to it the promoter as it well. It was at the promoter, and it was at the judges. Was it directed to you personally um, as well? Or? Oh, of course. It was okay. to the judges. It was to the promoter. It was just it was to everything, and just the way that it was handled, it really lacked professionalism, and it was it was horrible. I was a little bit younger, so a lot of the things that were being said about me online. You know, they still stick with me to this day. But hmm. again, you know, it was. And was, an was that against your character or against your performance? Or uh, a bit of everything. So I think um, people tend to get on the bandwagon when fighters have quite a large following. So I, I got quite a few um, hate messages from fans and out of the blue. So you, you're in your inbox, and all of a sudden there's a oh, message. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It was all it was all over Facebook for a little while. Well, mine anyway, because obviously I have everyone from the community on Facebook. So yeah. um yeah, that was that was probably the hardest part of my career was dealing with that that second rematch. Mm. Um you know, I would have happily have taken a loss if it meant that none of that was to come about, wow. but at the same time I I still have watched it over and over again. I still believe that I won both of those fights fair and square and the the aftermath of what came about from it was was a real example of yeah it was it was an example of of bad sportsmanship and um but at the same time I think it was a, a big pivot point in my career because it showed my character um so I try to use that example um with some of our fighters now you know how you conduct yourself in and outside the ring on social media all of that contributes to you as a person um and I always say to people that you are a person long after you're a fighter. So, mm. you know, the decisions that you make and how you go about things, whether you win or lose, it, you know, it's all, all comes down to your character. So, you know, bad time in my life, but also, um, you know, probably where I learned the most about myself and, and the sort of person that I wanted to be. So you've won twice. It should be redemption. You should be on top of the world. And then uh, at, how does that feel? Like you should be here, but you know, you're being dragged down and, uh, and, and, do you, do you kind of feel like all of a sudden you're fighting the rest of the world or did you feel like you had a lot of support and that these were just people that were outliers? Like, yeah, what it was, was the dynamic there? It, it was hard because, um, 
some of the stories online were false. So right. there were a lot of legitimate people in the sport that I looked up to that were unfortunately not on my side. Yeah. Um, which is, which looking back at it is, is all good. Um, at, at the time, I didn't realize the support that I actually had. Mm. Um, and I how only old were you saw, at the time? Uh, I would have been 19 or 20. Okay, so, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so, so pretty like young. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I felt like the world was against me. I went into a pretty bad place. I stopped fighting for quite a while. Hmm. Um, and then when I came back, that was when I had a, a complete change of, of mindset. So the time off di- actually did me some good. But, yeah, yeah I, think, I think every athlete is faced with, you know, with, with problems like this. You only have to go online and, and see an AFL picture that Channel 7 News has put up and to read some of the comments on yeah. there. Like it's just it baffles <laughs> me that there's people out there that actually – Tribe and things like that. And how did you disengage yourself? Or how did you um how did you kind of remove yourself from that that situation so you could get your mind clear? And and what would you advise other young athletes that might find themselves in a a social media shitstorm? What strategies could you suggest for those guys? Um, well, I think just switching off is really important. And it's really hard when you're in that position, especially Mm. as a young person. Your image is everything mm. and what people think about you, you think it's the the be all and end all. Yeah. So um, I was really lucky to have family around me that actually took my phone away and just deleted all all accounts off my so that I couldn't get them on my phone. So that that was great. Um but yeah, it, when you're in that position it's it's really hard to deal with. So how how long did it take for things to simmer down until you felt comfortable with with uh well one with that situation and then two, when did you feel comfortable to get back onto social media? Um, it was the social media shitstorm probably went for two months, yeah, I think, yeah. after the fight. It was just, wow. it was constant. It was it was really constant. Um, so, yeah, that was that was really difficult to deal with. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. But I try and um, even though some of the fighters don't go through anything to do with fight stuff, but, you know, they deal with issues on social media, I always try and explain to them that, you know, um, things like this come about when you're making waves, when you're mm. doing well for yourself. Mm. And when you're in that position, it's hard to think like that. But if you're not doing something that bothers some people, then, mm. you know, maybe you're not doing enough. Like you get to that point, if you're making big waves, there's going to be people that try and rock the boat a little bit. Yeah. So you've just got to keep reminding yourself of that. Easy to criticise, hard mm. to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, that's Absolutely. it. What about when the fight, the set, the rematch, because mm-hmm. there was some bad blood, did it change your strategy or when you were in the fight, did you feel any change in terms of you were you were trying to do different, were you throwing a bit extra on certain things or you uh, did it affect you men- mentally going into it? Um, it? It didn't actually, which I don't know how it didn't, but the trainers that I was working with at the time made it their mission to constantly remind me that if I go into a fight angry or with too much emotion, I'm not going to perform well and mm. I'm going to get hit too much and, you know, the emotions come out and the, the fight doesn't go the way that you want it to. So mm. um, I was really lucky that I had a coach at the time that um, was great at visualisation. So in the lead up to that rematch, we did a lot of that work so that I had actually gone through the scenario time and time again in my head so that when I went out there, I wasn't thinking about the what had happened outside of the ring. Mm. It was just, this is just an opponent. This is my game plan. I need to execute that. When we get out, we can worry about the rest. What, what was your feeling of your opponent, opponent 
in the ring on that second fight, did you feel that she was doing the same or did you feel like there was a bit of emotion there and then that was a, an advantage to you? Uh, yeah, probably a little bit of an advantage to me. I think looking back at it in hindsight, um, you know, the backlash that came from the fight, the things that she wrote on social media obviously came from a place where she couldn't control that emotion. So mm. I think in the second fight that worked out well for me because I kind of was able to push it to the side mm. thanks to the help that I had in my corner. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a, a big lesson for fighters is, is you shouldn't take too much emotion into a fight. You know, you've got to, you've got to think clearly. But it also comes down to what sort of fighter you are as well. Mm. Like some fighters might perform great if they're <laughs> in a rage. So, yeah. Mm, okay. um, yeah, I think that, do you know what, the the first fight and the second fight were, were much for muchness. It was pretty much the same fight. I think in the second one I was probably edged even more. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and any any talk of a trilogy or? <laughs> oh, there was, uh, there was a promoter looking for a, a, he couldn't find me an opponent and he did, he did put it up on social media and she asked for a third one. And it wasn't until that point that I realised how much support I had. You know, I had people... On there saying, you know, two wins is enough. We don't, we don't need a third one. Hmm. There's a part of me that thinks, you know, if if I get back in the ring, I will definitely take the third one. Um, but it, it won't be a grudge match to me. It will just be another fight. Hmm. Very interesting. So you're you're now you're almost emotionally um, uh, separated from from all of that. Um, it, it seems to me like you're not carrying any emotion in your voice as you talk about that at all. It, it's taken a lot of work to get there, to be honest. Like it's um, the the things that I received online were were pretty bad, so I, I had to work through those. So that's why I stepped away from fighting for a little bit. So um, I would be lying if I said that it didn't take a lot of time and effort and professional help to to get over that. So yeah, um, yeah I'm pre- pretty stoked with where I'm at now that I don't carry that on my shoulders. But yeah. And, and is that is that something that you were ever prepared for or that you'd ever thought might happen in your career? So, Or, or is it something you'd ever seen elsewhere um, in Muay Thai before, that, that type of social media yeah. shitstorm, that type of confrontation, that type of post-match grudgery? I had – well, I mean, we see it everywhere, don't we, in every combat sport and every sport. Um, but to be honest, I honestly thought it would never happen to me because I've never been disrespectful. Hmm. I've never slammed anyone online. I've never called anyone out. It, like, I won't even do that. Hmm. Um, so I didn't think it would happen to me. And, I mean, it did. So, yeah, it was a bit of a wake-up call. But one of my trainers once said to me when I won my first ever belt, he said, there's now a target on your back and hmm. people will go to great lengths to shoot that target. And I think I, I always You're like, think- I'm feeling good. I just want the title. What are you <laughs> know, talking about? I was like, why are you bringing this <laughs> negativity on He's whispering. <laughs> as you're walking out the rain, he's whispering it into your belt. <laughs> Literally. There's a tiger on your back. <laughs> so I've got this belt on my front and I'm just picturing this uh, this archery target on my back. But how right he was, you know, like yeah. you do get to a point and it could be in any career, in any anything in your life. If you get to a point where you're high enough, people will try and, and bring you down. So he was right in saying that. And I'm kind of glad that I got that little bit of insight because it kind of, when I went through the shit storm, I remembered that and I went, you know what, this this was going to happen eventually. Mm. So this Isn't is just crazy my time. That people will say those things or send you these horrible messages mm. through the power of the internet. But if they were standing in front of you, they would never say that sort of thing. It's just in, insane to me that they're quite happy to send a, abuse 
Yeah, through, that's it. Yeah, virtual abuse. It, it's easy like, to do from in the same room as them. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, yeah. The or keyboard across, warriors. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, but if you're in the same room, they won't say a single thing and it's like. No, that's like, you know, the UFC is terrible for it. People jump online and giving their opinions of the fights mm. and it's like, oh, if, if you would never say that to that fighter. That mm. fighter would probably kill you in <laughs> one second. <laughs> Yet you're telling them that they telegraph their jab too much. <laughs> <laughs> that jab would really kill you, mate. <laughs> and, and now as a mentor to other young females, is it that as horrible as that experience uh, has been, has it helped? Does it now help you in preparing other young athletes for what might come about if they reach a, a, a certain level? Oh, 100%. I always um, always bring it up. I always, yeah. always share that experience. Um, sometimes I even use it as an example, you know, because obviously there's video footage of just after the fight and, and how things went about. I use it as an example of, you know, if you ever act this way, it, it's not acceptable um, and you won't be fighting from this gym again. Like you'll be leaving on really bad terms. Mm. Um, so I, I do use it as an example of, of bad sportsmanship. Um, but, yeah, it's all all a learning curve, isn't it? Every bad experience has allowed me to actually be a better trainer now. So I'm grateful that. And went through it because I'm thinking that's something that perhaps your your trainers like that last generation of trainers or so that that's not something that they would have ever been up but they wouldn't have never encountered it the social media side mm, of things yeah totally different world it's carry a pigeon. yeah yeah that's <laughs> it's smoke signals <laughs> what do you mean you suck. I don't, th- I don't you think suck. he likes me yeah <laughs> you suck. Yeah, it's like a totally different world, isn't it? Like I can't even imagine trying to be a parent in this day and age with social media. It's pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, I definitely, the trainers around me were obviously older and, yeah, they were kind of baffled at the whole whole thing and, and for a little while didn't understand the severity of, of what it was. You know, there was a lot of defamation online and whatnot, you know, mm. had a business attached to it. Um, so it was mm. difficult but. And what's your relationship with social media now? Um, oh, I do you know what? I actually, after that, I just had a bit of a clean out of my social media. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I always try and tell the young young girls at the gym, especially, you know, you really got to select the the pages that and the people mm. that you follow on social media. There's a lot of crap out there, as we know. Anything mm. in the fitness industry, ninety percent <laughs> of it is crap. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, making sure that you're following following decent pages, decent people with good messages, ones that are realistic and, yeah, all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of influencers out there that mm. can warp young people's view of the world. Indeed. And and I think what well, I think what the world needs is more influencers like you. And <laughs> oh, thank so, you. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, and I think anybody who uh, has a daughter um, or, or a son even uh, or a gender-neutral person, whatever it might be, that may be, may be thinking, look, martial arts is a great way to build confidence. It's a great way to build self-esteem. It's a great way to get fit and strong. How can they find out more about you, Carly, not on social media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after everything I've just said, I'm all over social media. <laughs> but, but sharing positive messages and yep. trying to make the social media world a little bit nicer yep. in the combat sports world. So, yeah, all over social media, believe it or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, so if you want to follow Carly, how can people follow you? Um, so we are at Boars Martial Arts and Females Fighting Forward on Instagram and uh, Facebook, and we've also got websites up on Google. So hey, jump on there and yeah, and my, the, 
in the Pride Fight Series is yeah, coming up on the Pride 24th Fight of July. Pride Series coming up. So, yeah, get amongst it, SA people. It's going to be great. Fantastic. And if people want to buy tickets for that? Yep, they can go to pridefightseries.com.au or they can purchase from participating clubs. Fantastic, Carly. Thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Daily Combat Podcast. If you would like further information about today's guest, Carly Gangel, you can check out her fighting promotion website, pridefightseries.com.au. Special thanks also go out to our main sponsor, Real Estate Agents Group. This company is growing to become one of South Australia's largest independent real estate groups with a board of directors with over 100 years of collective real estate industry experience. Real is for real people by real people. Check them out on Facebook under Real Estate Agents Group or visit their website urbanandruralsales.com.au The Daily Combat Podcast is proudly brought to you by Dave Stockbridge, Isabella Rossitano and Hollywood Matt Connolly. Make sure to give us a five-star review as this helps us to continue to promote combat sports in Australia and around the world. You can find out more information about the podcast at dailycombatnews.com You can also follow us on all social media platforms with full video episodes available on YouTube. Just search The Daily Combat Podcast. Thank you again for listening from all of us here at The Daily Combat Podcast team.